Let's take a moment of quiet to allow that scripture to reverberate within our hearts and then let me lead you in a prayer. Thank you for the power of your word, Father. And we pray now that you would speak an even more powerful word to each of our lives. Speak, Lord, because your children are listening. Amen. How would you all like to experience something that holds the promise of opening up your life so that you and I might share in God's unrelenting happiness? Would you be interested in that? How would you be willing to give yourself to an exercise by which God would pour into your life his joy? Beginning this morning, we are launching into a summer-long series on joy, and I think we all could really use that. We have been through um, uh, the, the heavy book of Revelation. Um, it's been some weighty material we've waded through. And then we're in the midst of this really heavy cultural moment, in the midst of a global pandemic, a time of social unrest, uh, a it's been hard. I mean, and think of the year we've been through, 2020. We're only halfway through it, but it's been a litany of sorrow and grief. Fires in Australia to kick off the new year. Threats of war then in the Middle East. COVID-19 shutting down the, the planet. Um, racial injustice. It has been heavy, and I think we're all feeling that. We've had many losses, deep griefs. There are so many reasons for sadness and despair and yet, as Christians, we participate in God's kingdom, and joy is the hallmark of God's kingdom. So how do we bring those two realities together? How do we experience joy while we're in the midst of a global pandemic? How do we do that? What right do we have to joy in a world that just feels keeled over with sorrow? You might feel even it's not even right for us to feel joy. How dare we enjoy mirth or delight in the face of scandalous misery and injustice? Well, embedded deep in our faith in Jesus Christ and God's kingdom is the promise, the experience, the logic of joy. And so as we explore joy in these coming weeks... We want to invite you to something actually beyond the sermon series. We are inviting you. We're calling everyone to a 60-day experiment in joy. So for the next 60 days, we're inviting everyone to do this, to make the choice to rejoice, to choose joy every day. Philippians 4 verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then, in case we didn't get it, in case we don't, still don't believe it, Paul says, well, okay, I'll say it again, rejoice. So for 60 days, we're going to be doing that, calling us to do, to rejoice, to choose joy. And we're calling this an experiment because I bet a whole lot of us aren't really sure that it's possible to live every day in joy. Here's the thing. You're never going to know if it's possible if you, at first you don't conduct an experiment to see if it actually is possible. And here's the beautiful thing about experiments. They only run for a limited amount of time. So not to worry, right? You don't have to be joyful forever. Don't worry about it. Just 60 days, okay? You can go back to being your grumpy sourpuss self later on on September 1. But our hunch is that 
you may not want to go back there. So for 60 days, until September 1, not too long, and besides it's summer months, right? It's not March, it's not February. Uh, For 60 summer days, choose joy. And another great feature about experiments is that failure is a very likely part of the process. Talk to any scientist, any researcher, they will tell you experiments suffer setbacks, they go sideways, they suffer failures, and that's okay because the point is you're pursuing truth. And sometimes in the pursuit of truth, you learn ways that don't lead to truth. And so the same with joy. In the next 60 days, you'll likely fail. But don't beat yourself up. Don't give up. But instead, learn from it. Um, Why didn't you live joyfully that day? What was the kill joy that squelched your joy that day? Learn from it. So how about it? You in? Could you use more joy in your life? Or would that be a bad thing? Um, You know, would it be a bad thing to take hold of the joy that God offers, to enter deeper into his gladness? Let me start with a simple diagnostic question first. Is joy the everyday experience of your life? So sort of just review your life, your week. Is joy the everyday, ongoing experience of your life? Is your life one long experience of unmitigated merriment and glee? Do people tell you, stop being so happy? Or do you find it far too easy to worry about life? Is the default of your heart to to focus on what's wrong with life? Do you have an exquisitely honed capacity to zero in on all that is flawed and bent and broken in no matter what scenario? Or let me put it this way. Do you believe that complaining is your spiritual gift? Here's the reality for many of us. Joy cannot, is often not our strong suit. The serious business of the Christian life is joy. And yet, ironically, we can be so very serious about our Christian faith and yet miss out on the joy on offer from God. Too many people have bought into this big lie that the Christian life is dull and somber and that God is a grouchy sourpuss of a killjoy. And so too often we allow curdled, sour spirits to grow in us instead of learning how to rejoice. But the Christian life is one marked by joy. Listen to a few scriptures here. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. I bring you good news of great joy. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Jesus here says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And then later on, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says, I pray, Father, that they might have the full measure of my joy within them. And then, of course, Paul caps it off. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Are you getting a feel for this? Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian life. And it's a command, too. It's not just a good thing that you you think you should do. It's a command. Now, if it's a command, that means it is within our reach. It is within our capacity to experience this. Every command of God contains within it a promise for the resources of God to live out and obey that command. 
And I know, yeah, people resist, right? People would, would say, look at the world, though. I mean, how can you seriously expect me to be joyful in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of so much injustice, in the midst of such hardship? And I get that. We are not saying here, paste on a happy face, a shiny happy face, and ignore all that that's twisted and broken and tragic in the world. Not a bit of it. And so it's vitally for us to take note that Christian joy does not mean that we deny the existence of sorrow and grief in our lives and in the world. If we don't face up to the tragedy in life, our joy, it just becomes something really glib and shallow. We're never going to experience real deep heart joy when we try to avoid pain and hardship. Christian joy is never an escape from sorrow, but rather it is the experience of God, the presence of God, even within brokenness. One of the most important things that we're going to need to learn in this experiment is that laughter does not exclude tears. Joy does not rule out sorrow. However, trouble and sorrow should not dominate or bully our joy. Jesus, near the end of his life, he's talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Now he's talking to 12 disciples who are going to be persecuted, who are going to suffer so much. They're going to be put to death. And yet he promises them a joy that is greater than all of that suffering. Nothing, not loneliness, not hardship, not persecution, disease, or death. Nothing, Jesus is saying, is going to be able to take away that joy. One of my favorite stories is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Such a compelling story, a brilliant piece of literature. My wife, she's a wise woman. She's often noted that there's a difference between the books and the movies. And a key difference is that near, they're, they're in the movies, there's a near absence of feasting. The films just don't show as many feasts that the book contains. If you only watch the movies, you think it is just a big battle story. It is just constantly filled with battle scenes, epic battles between you know, people fighting the orcs who have the serious dental hygiene issues. But in the book version, while all the battles are still there, interspersed quite regularly throughout the whole narrative are these examples of joy-filled feasts. The descriptions of those feasts are like, oh man, I want to join into that. And I think Tolkien in the books got it right. Because even in the midst of this life and death battle in Middle Earth, there was still time and space for feasting. In fact, it was the feasting, the, the banqueting on joy itself, that was, some would say, necessary. The feasts fed courage and hope as well as their bodies. And that's where scripture leads us to that same place in the epic battle between good and evil, between heaven and hell, the battle for justice and truth. Have you noticed how many of the biblical pictures are about feasts? The joy God invites every one of us into is pictured as this glorious banquet The feasts are a taste of the full life that we are meant to enjoy. The joy of those feasts is what sustains weary hearts and our bodies. Joy and gladness are the needed resources to fuel a just and a compassionate life. And so, in a real sense, joy is is resistance. It is rebellion against the kingdom of darkness. There's so much that squelches gladness that we need to wage war with a feast. 
simply to remind us of what is real and true, that at the heart of things is joy. Because joy is a pointer to a greater glory that our lives were meant for. It always reminds us of what we're meant for. It awakens our hearts to our true home in God. Which brings us to the prophet Habakkuk. We read this morning, heard read to us uh, this prophetic book, and it is an aching cry to God. We heard just the back end, but the previous chapters of Habakkuk are a, a long complaint to God. Why, God, is all of this misery coming upon us? Habakkuk sees life. It is hard. It is filled with suffering. The, he and his people, they're experiencing terrible things. And he's not hiding any of it, you know, with a pious smile. He's saying, why, God? Why do these bad things happen to your good people, God? What sort of shop are you running here in the world, God? Why do these horrible things happen, like pandemics and earthquakes, like parents forced to bury their children? Why does it so often seem that people get rich by being corrupt while they... Well, the good who pursue good fail or get trampled on. Why, God? Can't your vision of life sometimes be so dominated by all these things that are broken and bent? And when that happens, joy gets bullied out of the way. Anxiety and worry and fear, they just sort of well up and overwhelm us. But that's not where the prophet ends. Right near the end of the book, after laying out this long argument of pain and suffering, Habakkuk ends with a song. Even though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, even though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. What Habakkuk does here is completely counterintuitive, but it's a skill we need to learn. Habakkuk chooses joy. He could have opted for bitterness, right? No one would have blamed him. I mean, look at all the misery they've been through. No one would blame him. He could have landed on worry and let anxiety just sort of carry him away. He could have picked anger and let rage fail him. No one would have blamed him. Instead, he chooses joy. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. He surveyed all the hardship in life. He's done an inventory of every injustice, every wrong, but he comes to a different conclusion than the circumstances might warrant. Yet, I will rejoice. Despite all that I see that is so wrong, yet I will rejoice. He's saying... What I see, all the tragedy, all the hardship, all the pain, that's not all there is. There is a bigger reality at play in this world that is far larger, and therefore I will not allow these circumstances that I see to define my heart. Instead, I'm going to orient my heart, my life, on this greater reality of God and his kingdom and his good purposes. Which means joy is a freedom. It is the freedom from fear, the freedom from self, a freedom to experience something greater than the immediate circumstances of our lives. To know joy when our finances are secure, our grades are good, when things are going well, when our kids are doing well, and the freedom to savor delight and joy even when we lose our jobs, even when we take a financial hit. 
even when our child decides to turn her back on the family, even when we lose someone we love. Habakkuk teaches us that joy can be embraced and experienced at all times, even in the worst of times. And I know some of you are probably thinking, now what world are you living in? How on earth can that happen? Well, it doesn't just happen. I've got to tell you that. It involves a choice. You can make the choice to rejoice. And Habakkuk shows us how this gets lived out in real-time living. He said, I will be joyful in God my Savior. You and I, we're going to have bad days. Some really bad days in life. And there are going to be seasons, extended periods of time when it feels like life is off kilter, where everything is going wrong. And right then and right there, we are faced with a choice. Just like Habakkuk, we can let all that grief, all those circumstances, just drain all the life out of living. Or we can choose joy. No matter who you are or what you've suffered, you have the capacity to choose joy. The anger you feel, the wound that you carry, the worry and anxiety that sometimes plagues our living, it won't be fixed by a one-shot miracle, but by many of these small choices, like one step after another, in which we continue to choose joy, which is exactly what Habakkuk does. Yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. And I know there's doubt in our hearts about this, right? Seriously, you think, can, can it be that simple, really? How can I make that choice? Because it feels like all the wrong, all the hurt, it's just too real. Aren't I just fooling myself, you know? Aren't I just trying to work up some sort of fake joy in my life? We will not know delight and mirth and joy because we have it in ourselves, we're not going to do that that way. It's just, it's just not the place from which joy flows. Look at the focus of Habakkuk's joy. It is not in himself. He finds it in God. He says, I will be joyful in God, my Savior. I will rejoice in the Lord. The only way we are going to regularly, consistently choose joy is through faith. We mostly think of joy as, as an emotion Um, And it does touch our emotions for certain, but only secondarily. Joy is derivative. It flows from faith. You know, at times I've I've been convinced that joy feels pretty naive. Um, That in a world that's bent over with pain, I've often thought sorrow seems to be deeper and truer. Um, How many of us are in a similar place? How many of us might believe that gladness is really the exception and that sadness is the norm in the world? Are you missing joy in your life? It's likely because we've made choices. And it's likely those choices were rooted in a conviction that joy is fleeting and rare and sadness is the norm. But let me ask you, what is the rationale? What is the basis for believing you cannot live in joy today? In the midst of the ruins that Habakkuk experienced, he chooses joy. I will be joyful in God my Savior. We will not know a glad heart until we know that God is the most joyful being in the universe. And joy is God's gift to those who live near the heart of God. And joy has a logic to it as well. It's not a brainless, okay, whatever. No, no, no. There is a logic to joy, a joy, a deep rationale in what God has done and is doing right now for you and me. 
Joy is rooted in the logic of the gospel. God saves and the cross of Jesus Christ, in the cross of Christ, something has happened. This bent and broken world is now in the process of being restored and renewed. Do you believe that? Or are you convinced that this world, this life is just going to decompose and deteriorate, descend into chaos and then end with a whimper? Is there nothing but blind chance guiding our world? If that's what we truly believe, then I get why you're glum. Absolutely. And it's probably the most logical thing to believe. But the Christian faith sees so much more that misery and brokenness are not final. That even death does not get the last word. That sadness will pass away. That joy itself is eternal because God is at work saving and restoring the world. And it's rooted in the resurrection. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all the sufferings, all the tragedies that scar our lives, they don't get the final say. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, the best is yet to come. New creation is unfolding. It is emerging. And all that we've lost, the resurrection says, you get it back. The resurrection means that one day all things are going to be made new again. Everything that was lost in this life will be restored, will be given back. Every wrong and tragedy will come undone. Resurrection means this world healed, cleansed, made new again, birthed into something new and wonderful. It doesn't mean that whatever we suffer is taken away, but the resurrection changes it. Our life isn't defined now by loss or by tragedy. Every sorrow, every loss, every failure is changed into a greater glory. That's God's story. So we have a choice, friends. Will we believe this gospel, this good news? Because joy is a matter of faith. Will we take possession of this gift of joy that God holds out to each one of us? He has done it all, and all we need to do is live in what God has accomplished for us. Are you willing to believe that God is the most joyful being in the whole universe, and that this invitation to you is to enter into and enjoy that joy. How about we begin to exercise our joy muscles? How about we begin to live out every day for 60 days? Joy. Choose joy. Make the choice. You got it? To rejoice. One more time. I didn't hear you. Make the choice to rejoice. Let's do that starting now. Let's pray. Jesus, you are beautiful. You beam with joy. You are the prince of joy. And you look upon each one of us with absolute delight. And our, our prayer is fill each one of us with joy. Our hearts are burdened. They're weighed over with so much sorrow and grief in the world. God, don't give us just a glimpse of joy, but may it well up within us. May we embrace and experience deep in our hearts and souls, your offer of everlasting joy. Make joy and delight the habit of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.